Bibles there to James chapter 1 and reading now the latter portion of this chapter, verses 19 to 27. And this is God's holy word. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Grass withers, the flower fades. God's holy word endures forever. Well, we are moving along in in this particular chapter, and as I've acknowledged before, there's a lot uh, before us in in so few verses. And this morning we're focused particularly on verses 19 to 21 and the whole issue of the danger of anger. And, And note, and I'll mention this a few times perhaps within this message, but note verse 16. And as well, note verse 22 and verse 26 and how often in these opening verses and and in particular in the context that surrounds the portion we're looking at, James references the issue and problem that we have of deceiving ourselves. And I do believe that one of the deceptions that we have about ourselves concerns our anger, and particularly as Christians, how often we like to think that our anger is righteous anger, that we can have anger and not sin, as Paul exhorted us. In fact, I truly was amazed in preparation of this message how often Scripture addresses the issue of anger in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, in Matthew, and most of Paul's letters, Peter's letters, here in James. And, and as well, when you read through Scripture and you read about men whose anger became uncontrolled, who, stepping forth, I believe at times, wanting to serve God, were filled with such anger and rage that, that they turned away from righteousness without realizing it. It is a real danger. And they are great and grave warnings that Scripture gives to us concerning the tendency of anger to rise within us. It is a real danger to our faith, to our life. And as well in context here, because we want to understand verses 19 to 21 
do not start a new subject. They still flow out of the context of God doing through trials of our faith, through the testings of our faith. God is working in us that great work of endurance that our faith would continue up, excuse me, and mature to perfection. And, and these words are flowing out of that. And they pertain to the various issues and trials that we experience when our faith is being tested. And I'm sure I don't need to say this. We're going to have an illustration. But we all know that the great difficulty in every trial is having our anger quenched. <laughs> it's a reality. Now there are a couple things to note about anger. And one thing is this, is that anger is a very dominant emotion connected to our fallen nature. And, and I believe you need to be aware of that, dear Christians, that anger is something very dominant to our depravity, to our sinfulness. Listen to what Paul writes in Titus chapter 3 verse 3 when he is just before he comes to express the wonder of God's saving grace that has met us and changed us in the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. He says there, we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. And what are the various lusts and pleasures that he highlights in that verse, we were living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We ourselves in that depravity that reigned over our lives, that is something that marked us. This, this malice, this hatefulness, this hating of one another, and envy that springs out of it or leads us into anger. It is a reality. And, and it is not something that we are going to overcome in our own strength, which Paul goes on in that chapter of Titus 3 to speak about that washing and renewing of the Holy Spirit that happens when God's uh, kindness and love in the Lord Jesus Christ is poured out upon us. That's what overcomes our anger. That's what subdues that lust for vengeance or that lust of hating and envy and malice that rises up within us. Only the mercy of God in the Lord Jesus Christ can transform us. Only the presence of the Holy Spirit can help us. And so we want to acknowledge that. It is part of our fallen nature, a dominant part. And anger also has many forms. And that's why we read earlier from Ephesians chapter 4. And if you turn back there again to note in Ephesians 4.31, when Paul there speaks about the various forms of anger. We often think of anger as simply that explosive emotion that comes out in a tone of voice. But it has many forms. Bitterness. 
Now that, those words that Paul chooses in verse 31 are all forms of anger. Bitterness is a, a rooted hatred in your heart against someone. And we know that's something that, that God tells us you must, you must root it out. <laughs> Bitterness is, is a rooted hatred. Wrath. As he uses a a fiery anger. Have you ever watched someone explode in such a rage that you stand back and say, where did that come from? The the heart. It's there. And then anger itself. Simple rage. Simple fury that rises up so readily in our lives. We are accustomed with that. But then he goes on. Clamor. And, And that's a word that speaks about Quarrels that arise from frustration. Again, a form of anger. Where we're beginning to lose self-control. Evil speaking, like slander and blasphemy against other people or against God. That's all rooted in anger. It has many forms. And when you consider that, and you come back to our text here, and you read verses 19 and 20, So then, my beloved brethren, let everyone, every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You understand why he says so emphatically, without any qualifications, he says in verse 20, The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Don't deceive yourself. You hear those words. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He doesn't say our wrath is sometimes justified so it's okay. He's emphatic. It doesn't. And yet, how often do we treat our anger as righteous anger? (laughs) Especially as believers, when we think, I have a right to be angry over this because that was a sin against me, or this is just pure and simple wrong. And so it's righteous anger. And you know, I've thought of this often when I and I've heard it often as a pastor flow from the lips of Christians. This is righteous anger. And I often think, you know, what does scripture say about our righteousness? Isaiah 64, 6. We are all an, like an unclean thing. And listen to this. All our righteousness. Not just some of it. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. Now, even your righteous anger, dear Christian, is like a filthy rag before God. And now you can understand why he says, be slow to wrath. And now you understand why he says your wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. Humbling, isn't it? How often when it comes to Ephesians 4.26 and again, we heard those words. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. And And I've heard, and I think it's not wrong for a Christian to apply this particularly in close relations. Like I I can think of how often a man would think I've had an argument with my wife. I've expressed anger and it's still there. I can't let the sun go down. We've got to resolve this before sunset. And, And you work at resolving And yet, we neglect something about that verse. 
that it's not speaking first and foremost about those arguments or disagreements or those problems that have risen in our relationship with other people. He's speaking first and foremost about the anger that resides in our own heart. How often have we gone to bed angry and we've let the sun go down upon it? Happens, doesn't it? And we can let it go like that for days, even years against people. Or how often... And, and I think this is the most telling thing. How often when you read verses 19 to 21 and it's dealing with anger, how often do you not realize this most important point in the context of James' writing? Be slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How often do we neglect this point that he is addressing First and foremost, the anger that rises up in your heart against God Himself. Because this is still dealing with the issues of trials and testings of your faith. And in times when God's divine providential trials come upon our life and they are hard for us, we do not realize what bitterness, what anger, what clamor, what frustrations, what turmoil rises up within us and it's directed to God. (laughs) Or we sin against God in respect of that. That I do believe, first and foremost, here is the relationship that James has in mind more than anything else. And that's your standing with God. Let me put out a scenario. And I know this will be all too familiar for most of us. But it's just a general scenario. And it's a minor scenario. There are others that are much greater than what I'm going to set before you. But what about this scenario where you have an appointment with, say you're a husband and wife, and you have an appointment and you're you're getting ready to, to pick up your wife for that uh, appointment or that event. And so you're, you're leaving work and you know you're on a, on a short timeline and you're trying to make sure you're there on time because it's so important to be on time for this event. But providentially street lights you hit every single red light <laughs> and, and that adds a minute every time and you're watching your time disappear and you, you just get going and then another red light and you feel it don't you? The frustration's coming. And then providentially you get behind that slow driver. And you can't pass and you feel like laying it on the horn and and it's just adding to the frustration within your heart. And you're seeing the time decrease even more. And then you've got to stop for that pedestrian. And they're just taking their time. And we're like, come on, man. Don't you know that I've got to be somewhere? (laughs) And then you get to your home. And that frustration boils over when your wife isn't standing at the door ready to jump in the car because you're already late. And that's how it happens, isn't it? And you're not particularly angry with your wife. You're angry with all of the providences that have now made you late, which you had no control over. And your anger is expressed. And who is it ultimately being expressed against? You see what he's saying here when he says, the wrath of man 
does not produce the righteousness of God. What is it that God is working in you? And you've just exploded in frustration. And we know as as David says in Psalm 51 against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil. That is the issue. The danger of anger is the danger of being angry with God and His providence in your life. And I want to say it emphatically and without any reservation. When I hear Christians say, I was so angry with God, I want to say to you, dear people, that is one of the most extremely sinful things you can ever utter. We have no right, no reason ever to be angry with God. I recall watching a Ligonier post where a question came to the, to the time of question and answers that they always have at their conference and somebody spoke about being angry with God and R.C. Sproul just turned and said, what is wrong with you people? And, and I think he was right. Now maybe he was angry, but <laughs> who knows? Uh, but he made the point, what right do we have to express anger to God? Especially, dear Christians, when you know, when you understand that God has every right to be angry with you. And that His anger is a just and vengeful anger. That His anger is one that has a wrath, a fury of justice ready to take on sinful man. And especially, dear Christians, when we realize in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Psalm 103 expresses so wondrously, so amazing, that grace of God that has come and met us in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Listen to these words. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. We're told this about our God. The one who has a right to pour out His wrath upon us is the one who says to us, I have been slow to anger and abounding in mercy. I have not dealt with you according to your sins. I have not punished you according to your iniquities. And you're angry with me? (laughs) Do you see why it's so sinful? As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, And this is again one of the amazing things about the grace of God that has met us. That God in His electing graces from all of eternity, He has not appointed us to wrath. Thank God. (laughs) But He has appointed us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not Children of wrath. Children of love. And when God's divine providence gets hard in our lives, gets complicated, gets difficult to bear under, and we get frustrated, we get anger, or we get bitter in our hearts, we're saying, God, you're not really that good. What a sinful thing to do. 
You see how, how important it is to understand these words. And that's what we see here. The big thing to understand is that there is a testing of our faith that is happening in context of these words. When James says, So then, my beloved brethren, (laughs) he is saying, Since you know who God is, verse 17, since you know that God is good, since you understand that everything God is doing in your life, however hard and challenging it is for you, you know that He's bringing every good gift and every perfect gift from above to you. You know that He is a Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. He has not been fickle in His love to you. He is working out in you the glories of His salvation. You know God is good. You understand that His saving grace in verse 18 has been and continues to be exercised toward you. He has brought you forth by His word of truth that you would be one of those precious treasures in His kingdom. You know this about God. So then, in light of that knowledge of who God is, in light of the knowledge that His goodness is being exercised to you, and His saving grace is upon you, so then, my beloved brethren, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, because the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You see how important the context is? This isn't talking about us just simply exploding in anger at one another. Understand, God is at work. And He's at work in you and for you. He's begun a good work and He who has begun that good work is going to be faithful to complete it. And and the work He is doing is coming from who He is as the God who is all goodness. (laughs) He is giving good things with a perfect purpose to mature you in Christ. And He is, as a Father, dispensing His goodness, not because He loves someone more than He loves another. Do you think that God our Heavenly Father loves me more than you and so is going to take my life down a better path than He will you? even though we are both believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and made His children by an eternal, infinite, amazing love poured out upon us in Jesus Christ by His Spirit? Do we honestly think that God shows such partiality, that He's not being good? Our Father is not so fickle to be prejudicial and biased like that. We are. (laughs) You you even get parents who love a child over another child. You get people, even within the church, who, who, and this is beyond the issues of friends and close friends, but who will love a certain kind of person more than another person. And we're going to get to that in chapter 2. We're like that. But God isn't. (laughs) Praise God He isn't. He's gracious. 
He's working in your life to produce in you a transformation of your whole being into Christ's likeness. And He's doing that by His Word, of His own will. He brought us forth by the Word of truth that we would be a creature like Christ. And you're getting angry because it's not going the way you think it should. Because your trials are hard. Because we're forgetting that that testing of our faith is producing a mature, enduring perseverance where God is working out that salvation in us. The gracious will of your Father is your salvation in its fullest so that the righteousness of God will be produced in you. And my friends, he's very clear. Your wrath doesn't contribute to it. (laughs) Your anger does not contribute to that work of producing in you the righteousness of God. It's a good thing God is at work, isn't it? (laughs) Praise God for that. And and that's where, as I mentioned earlier, that's where we we must be careful not to be deceived. Verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. That's part of this context. Verse 22, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Don't, Don't deceive yourself. Don't think, okay, this doesn't apply to me. Verse 26, I I don't have this issue with anger. Don't deceive yourself. You consider the history of people in the Bible whose wrath certainly did not produce the righteousness of God. And not just someone like Cain whom we read about last Sunday who in wrath murdered his brother. Why? Why did Cain do that? Because he was angry with God. Because God did not accept Cain or his sacrifice. And he took his anger out on Abel. Or Sarah in Genesis 16. Abraham didn't have a son. But Sarah had a maidservant. (laughs) Sarah couldn't produce a son. At least not in accordance with the will of God. And she ran out of patience. And she said to Abraham, have my servant produce a son through him. Abraham did. And they thought, there, there's our son. But then problems arose when Hagar saw that she was privileged because she gave a son and Sarah couldn't. And Sarah became angry. And she became angry with Abraham. Or she took her anger out on Abraham and indirectly on Hagar. But who was she angry with? God, who had not given her a child. You see, it always goes back to that. Or Simeon and Levi, and what anger did their righteousness produce? None whatsoever. Moses, in Numbers 21, Moses, on the eve of going into the promised land, and here's a, a man 120 years old or thereabouts, and, and he's ready to lead Israel into the promised land and lay hold of the inheritance that God had promised his people. He had labored for 40 years with this people in the desert to, to this point, and once again, they're grumbling and complaining 
came out and Moses in frustration and anger against the people struck the rock and God looked at him and did God punish the people for criticizing him? Or did God punish Abraham, uh, Moses and, and Aaron? Why did God punish Moses and Aaron? You did not hallow me before their eyes. You allowed your anger to rise up. And in fact, your anger again, I would say, even in that circumstance, was directed toward God. God took it personally. Your anger did not accomplish the righteousness of God. And if there's ever a lesson that we could learn, it's that truth. Our anger does not contribute anything to the righteousness of God. So often our anger springs from self-importance, from stubbornness, selfish ambition, and discontentment with God. And discontentment particularly with God's providences toward us or towards others. We need to understand that. And that's why here, anger is something that doesn't simply need to be, if I can put it this way, it doesn't need to be controlled. It needs to be sanctified. There is a righteous anger to have. Jesus displayed anger. And it was righteous anger. But you know, the very few times, and I think there's only three, possibly four times in the Gospels where we see the record of our Lord and Savior, the righteous one, displaying anger. It was not an emotion that He allowed to be released from him, except for a few occasions. And one was when he, in Matthew 21, when he cleared out the temple courts of the money changers. And why did he do that? Because they were preventing the people from being able to come and seek the Lord. It wasn't because he was being mocked or scandalized or blasphemed. He was angry. That they were preventing people from seeking God. That's something, isn't it? And the same with his disciples. He was displeased with his disciples when they prevented the little children from coming to him. How dare you keep these to whom the kingdom of God belongs from the blessing that I have for them? Righteous anger. He was angry in Mark 3, and it's expressed there. Jesus was angry with the hard-hearted men who on that Sabbath would not allow the goodness of God to come and meet that man with the shriveled arm. And their hard-heartedness would restrain the goodness of God. Yeah, he was angry. And you might read into the woes to the Pharisees, scribes, and elders in Matthew 23 as perhaps a response of anger. But I often don't think so because when you come to the end of that, it speaks of Jesus having a remorse and a pity for Jerusalem because He was willing to save them, but they were not willing to come to Him. I don't think it was in anger that He spoke those woes. 
as much as it was in this deep, deep pity for a people who refused him. But his anger always reflected the righteousness of God. It was never because he was mocked, persecuted, blasphemed, or sinned against. It was always when the gospel or when God's glory or or when people were being prevented from seeking God. That's when his anger came out. Not because of personal attack. And I think that's important for you to compare why you get angry and why it's not righteous. We need to sanctify it. And that's, that's what James is doing here. And we, we sanctify this anger, as you see in verses 19 and 21, by first of all, guarding our heart. And he gives us three things that we have to be very conscious about. We need to be swift to hear. I know that's a struggle I have. I'll confess it. When I'm in discussion with someone and they're giving their side of something and I'm listening and I pick up on a word and I don't hear anything beyond that word, I'm thinking, okay, what you just said is wrong, so I need to answer that, and I'm not listening to anything else that you're saying because I'm being swift to respond and not slow. How many of us are like that? That's why he says, be swift to hear. Listen. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. And that is the trend. That the more you can listen and the more you can shut your mouth and the more you really and truly guard your heart in this way, the slower you will be to wrath. There is a self-control. And the Spirit of God is there to bring forth that virtue of His fruit in your life. Self-control. Guard your heart. Lay aside, secondly, corruption and malice, as you see in verse 21. Lay aside corruption and malice. I know it says all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, but that's what those words really get to the heart of. As a believer, you know there's corruption, there's filth in your soul. As a believer, you understand your propensity to allow your lusts and emotions to lead you and not wisdom and truth. That corruption is there. And it desires, oh, don't our emotions love to strike and avenge and express and explode with malice, especially when our personal honor and reputation and pride are at stake. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? Maybe I'm standing alone in saying that. It's hard. (laughs) It says, lay it aside. Don't allow those things of the world, the lust of your eyes and the lust of your flesh and particularly the pride of your life be what comes out. Lay it aside. Because this is a trial. This is a testing of your faith. God is seeking to rid you, to sanctify that tendency of anger within you through this trial. See that. Lay aside your pride, your ego. And you again, you're not doing this in your own. You have the Spirit of Christ in you. You have Christ as your strength and help. And then the third thing about sanctifying anger. Guard your heart. Lay aside corruption and malice. 
and receive God's word with meekness. Isn't that, isn't that interesting how he says that? Receive with meekness the implanted word. That you have enough of the wisdom of God already in you to know that this anger is wrong. <laughs> I don't need to tell you that. But you have the word of God in you that will lead you in the way of truth and righteousness. Receive it. And, and that, that receive with meekness, it means purpose to have a humility, a gentleness, a teachable spirit, rather than that stubborn, hard, argumentative spirit. <laughs> Don't let that dominate you. Or even more, a meek spirit is not one who simply listens and walks away thinking in your mind, well, that's the last time I'm going to have a conversation with that person. Because that's still a response of anger. But rather walk away with a meekness, a humility, a gentleness, and a teachable spirit that says, well, I think I need to work on how I relate with this person. You see the difference? And there again, the Spirit of God is there to help you. And even more, when you read those words, when, in verse 21, when he says, Receive with meekness. What are you hearing when you hear those words? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me. Remember how many times have I taken you to that verse already in this series of James. Jesus says, come to me, you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest because I am, and it's the same word, I am lowly, I am meek. And you will find rest in me. And you see, it's in those times where, where he says, receive with meekness. That is, cry out to God. But he says, cry out to your Lord and say, Savior, I'm burdened right now. Help me to rest in your meekness. Do you not think that the Lord will come with strength and power? He promises I will what? I will give you rest. You see there, there we're sanctifying anger. We're not controlling it. Oh, don't deceive yourself. <laughs> it's being sanctified. And it's being sanctified by the grace and the wisdom of God. And look at the promise at the end. Verse 21, this will save your souls. And it's not saying that you're not a believer and that you're not already saved. What James is saying, this will save you in so many ways. In this life, it will save you from so much grief and malice and hatred and bitterness. But it will also work out in you a glory of the salvation of God that has come upon you. And others will know that Christ is in you. Isn't that your greatest glory, joy, and delight? That Christ, that Christ be seen in me. That I am one, a sinner, saved by divine grace. And there but for that grace of God do I go. Danger of anger is before us, my dear friends. Guard your hearts. Guard it in the wisdom of God. Sanctify it in the name of Christ.
And you will know his salvation in glorious ways.